This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Have your Bibles uh, nearby. We're going to be looking at several passages uh, from God's Word this morning. I hope you'll take some notes, listen carefully, and again, remember that all of these messages, you can go back to the website and listen to them again. I preached a message a few weeks ago uh, from Galatians chapter 2 about uh, the fact that we are uh, dead in Christ but alive in Him. I had uh, a man call me from Philadelphia yesterday uh, for counsel, and, uh, and I directed him to that message. He went to our website, listened to that message, called me in. We had a wonderful conversation that I think God used uh, in his life. Recently, I had the opportunity to attend a reunion where several from my home church, Memorial Baptist Church, Rockford, Illinois, Folks, is pronounced Illinois, not Illinois, okay, <laughs> Illinois, all right, moving on, where several gathered to encourage each other and reflect on how God used his church, Memorial Baptist, his people, they have wonderful facilities, but that's neither here nor there, his people to impact all of our lives. As we watched a PowerPoint with over 500 pictures going back a long ways, memories flooded our hearts. Many in the pictures are now in heaven, including my pastor and his wife, my dad, and both of Renee's parents. While it was a blessing to reflect, I was overcome with a feeling of my own mortality. All of us can look back and, and say, and we've done it, where has the time gone? Where's it gone? I'm now a grandparent, and the age of those I thought, when I was in that church, the age of those I thought, those are old people. I am now one of those old people. I'm in my late 50s and have just passed through a stage of life that is getting a lot of attention from authors. In fact, as much attention as the teen years get. If you're between 35 and 55, you have experienced or will experience what author Paul Tripp says is, quote, the startling realization that you are way older than you thought and life has changed much more than you had noticed. This realization and the disorientation that flows from it is what our culture calls a midlife crisis. Now, I was just looking around on the Internet about midlife crisis, and it's funny what comes up. New cars, okay. That was the big one, you know. How can you tell a guy's in a midlife crisis? He pulls into the driveway with a new car he and his wife have never talked about, or she hears it coming, that Harley Davidson or whatever, okay? Now, if you just bought a Harley, I'm not saying you're in a crisis. 
But if your wife didn't know, you are in a crisis, okay? I'm just saying, and come, come see me. Let's, let's get together and talk. But seriously, when my dad turned 65, he said to me this, Son, I've lived more years than my grandfather, my father, and my older brothers. He told me that at 65, five years later, he was in heaven. His life had gone by quickly, and just five years after saying those words, he was with the Lord. As I look back on my 35 to 55, there have been several crises. Now, as we were reminded this morning, God's grace is sufficient. It's there, and there's more grace to discover with whatever you face, but I look back and and in those God sustained, however, I could not have anticipated what was coming. I confess there are things that I look back and struggle with as I've turned my life story over in my hands. Many of you are my age, you can relate. And here's the thing, we are aware that many things in our lives have not worked according to our plans. Would you agree with that? Who would have thought? In fact, you and I could not have written our own stories to this point. We couldn't even have written the story of last week. How was your last week? Was there anything that happened that was unexpected? Our lives have taken twists and turns that we could never have imagined. Some of those turns have left us amazed and grateful, while others cause profound pain and loss. We all face or will face a mix of the following as we live out our lives. Now, we're talking specifically about 35 to 55, okay? But let me just say that that even this midlife thing is relative. And and let me remind us again of the brevity of life. Some of you are 20 and you're at midlife because you won't be here at 40. Isn't Isn't that the reality? So what we're looking at this morning, we need to pay close attention to. And even if you're younger and you think that 40 is old. Oh, I'd love to have 40 again. Okay. (laughs) Realize right now, you younger people, that you are making decisions that are going to impact midlife. And we're going to see why that's true in just a moment. But what are the things that uh, we all face, that we will face, at that point in our lives, to varying degrees. First of all, there's dissatisfaction. When you get there, you may look back at parts of your life, your work, your marriage, your family, your body, and you're not happy with your story. There may be a general feeling of discontent. 
Now that's why godliness with contentment is such great gain. And the follow-up of that is it's true we didn't bring anything into this world. We can't take anything out. And so be grateful. Be satisfied with what's, what God has given to you, but set your heart on God so that he can satisfy your heart. Because if you have lived up to this point and you have set your heart on things that don't last and don't matter, you're going to be dissatisfied. Next, there's disorientation. We get lost in our own stories and some of the ways we thought about ourselves don't apply anymore. In younger years, we had ideas about ourselves that gave us purpose. We thought we knew who we were, what we were supposed to do with our lives. But now we're not so sure. Disorientation. For some, there's dread or fear. Our society puts a high value on physical beauty and youth. As a result, many in Western culture dread what will happen when they get old. And I've seen enough pictures to convince me that plastic surgery is not the answer. But let's be honest. Lack of energy, weight gain, aches and pains all remind us that the clock is ticking and our end is coming. Now I'm thankful as a Christian, I don't have to live in this body much longer. Praise God. I get new flesh and, and everything that we fear and spend money, the creams and the doctor's appointments, all, okay. Not in heaven. But there's, there's dread. And then there's disappointment. This includes regret. As we assess life, we think about things we wanted to accomplish but we didn't make them happen. A closer walk with the Lord. A personal and family worship time that was consistent. More time with our children. Better financial planning and spending. Personal exercise goals <laughs> as we come to a new year. And, yeah, okay. But disappointment. Now the time to make those things happen is quickly slipping by. I read the story, true story of a man named Phil, and his life is really a testimony of what we're talking about. He moved up quickly in his firm, and what they did is they uh, helped develop contracts, development contracts uh, for companies. And things were going well. The team he was in charge of continued to expand. The company was making money. And then one day, he heard on the news. He wasn't even aware of this, but it was a breaking news story that his company was being sued for negligence because another team of developers had put together something that had caused uh, great damage to a company. He was shocked. He didn't think much of it. Well, you know, this will blow over. It'll go away. But as the weeks came in the company, other clients started to jump ship and go to other others. 
they weren't going to trust his company anymore. Now, he wasn't the owner. He was just in management of a team. Uh, but, but other companies didn't want to use them anymore. He was called into a meeting. He was told that he needed to cut his team in half, so he was responsible for laying some people off. Things continued to decline, and then one day he got his walking papers. At midlife, he could not have imagined he, he, he was making great money. He was active in his church. Uh, things were going well with his family. Uh, if he could write his story, this is how he would write his story. And everything changed. His response to that was not to go to God, but to internalize everything that had happened. And so his wife started to notice that he had withdrawn from the family. Uh, he went to church some, but he didn't want to serve anymore. Uh, he'd be out late at night. She didn't know where he was, and he'd come in, and he'd have his reasons for whatever he was doing, just trying to process, just dealing with what's going on. But she noticed that there was decline. And then, to the shock of herself and, her, and their church, found out that he was in another relationship. Obviously, he stopped going to church altogether. And as those in the church, and, and with the intervention of his family, as they tried to talk to him, he didn't want to hear of it. He was depressed. God hadn't been fair. And ultimately, in this man's situation, Phil questioned his faith and walked away from the Lord. You say, well, that's an extreme situation. I don't think so. I don't think so. I have been in our kinds of churches where the Bible is preached and where a flock ministers to those in the flock uh, through their spiritual gifts and for the glory of God, genuine love, the love of Christ shed abroad in hearts. I have witnessed over and over families that get in midlife and, 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 it, and people start saying, where'd they go? What, what happened? Now, this was before they could sit home and tell you that they're watching live stream, which is not church. But back then, they just disappeared. Well, they might be visiting around, but none of it made sense. Then you find out that there had been something that had happened at midlife that shattered their dreams, and they walk away. Now, what we need to realize is the struggle in our lives, that the struggles in our lives are not about aging, disappointment, and regret, but often are experiences that rob us of the things for which we have been living. That's really the problem. Don't miss this point. Midlife will rob you of your idols. God will see to it. God made you to be a worshiper. This heart, it will worship something. If it's not God, it will worship something. But at midlife, there is going to be less and less time for the Lord to prepare you to stand before him and hear well done. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to reach down and he's going to start extracting idols. 
And that's where the struggle will come in. When this happens, you'll either be in greater danger or on the edge of one of life's greatest opportunities. Did you hear that? You can be in great danger or at the edge of one of the greatest opportunities as God works in you to rid your life of the idols that stand between you and him. This is a call for you young people to be warned and for every adult here to consider if there are things, even good things, in our lives that have replaced God. Let's be honest, the things that the spiritual disciplines that we struggle with, having daily devotions, just spending time worshiping the Lord, talking to Him, being in His Word, being in church. We say, well, I'm, you know, I need to do better, I need to do better. But what is it that is keeping you from doing better? What started the discussion? Well, many times what started the discussion is idols. They continue to pry into where God must reign. God wants to get us to the point, and I'm not suggesting that no one here is there. I believe we have folks, many here, who walk with God. He, you worship him, and, and your life reflects that you worship him. But God called us to only worship him. And this will result in his glory and our peace. And if we'll get those idols out, we'll really be able to live again. Now perhaps someone is thinking, well, I don't have any idols. Okay. And that could be true. I'm not assuming. I know we all struggle. But let me just ask some questions here. How do you respond when the opportunity for the next success in your life is taken away? It's amazing to me uh, in this economy, and, and we, have, we have folks that struggle to find work, okay? And that can really drag you down. But how do you respond to that? That could indicate an idol. How do you respond... How would you respond if your most prized possession was taken away? Teenagers, if somebody stole your cell phone. Now, I'm glad you're sitting down, but you know what? You can survive without a cell phone. Those of us in midlife, we remember days before the cell phone. Okay, but... If that happened or something else, if it was taken away, how would you respond? Mom, how do you respond if your children move away? Dad, how do you respond when that nagging ache is a serious health threat? The test comes back, and it's not negative, it's positive. If you'll take your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus, I want to start out there today. Second book in our scriptures. Go to Exodus chapter 20. And this text, again, affirms why we were created. God reminded Israel. 
Egyptians. They were leaving Egypt where there were a lot of idols. Exodus 20 and verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Underline these next three words in your Bible. Nor serve them. Don't serve them. You know, it may not be an idol shelf in your house. Probably not. But what gets your service? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And you go on there with the Ten Commandments. But those first six verses remind us of where our worship should be. God alone, no competitors. Now there are two ways to view your midlife. As a crisis, when realizations and difficulties come, or as God's constructive work. Do you know when you got to midlife, God wasn't shocked that you weren't perfect? He wasn't shocked that it wasn't working out the way you wanted it to. In fact, he's not even moved by the fact that you may not be where he wants you to be right now because he knows he can do the work to get you where you need to be when you stand before him. And so the message this morning, midlife crisis or God's construction. How are you going to look at this? Well, it's a, it's a crisis. It's my life is a failure. No. No. God's not done with you until he's done with you. And by the way, you'll know when he's done with you, you'll be looking into his eyes. All right. So let's focus on the fact that God's still doing his construction work. Recently, I read in my devotions, uh, well, I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah. Remember when God sent Jeremiah down to the potter's house? Remember that story? So he sends Jeremiah down there to just watch the potter. And, and I love to watch potters work. It's amazing what they can do with clay in that turntable, okay? But the potter is working, and all of a sudden he stops. Why? Because there was something in the clay that was going to weaken the vessel, that was going to make it so it wasn't beautiful. And he stops, he gets that rock or that piece of dirt, whatever, he pulls it out of there, gets a little water, and he starts working it, molding it into something beautiful again. And God had Jeremiah go down to see that because that's what God does with us. We are clay. Literally, we're clay. And so he's working, and when he finds a flaw, he doesn't pick the whole thing up, walk to the door, and chuck it into the field. No, he takes out the impurity, whatever it is. In our case, he'll root out an idol, and then he'll start back 
to work. And by the way, that's on the time schedule of the potter. That's not your schedule. You're just clay. Sometimes we think, no, no, I, I've got to make this happen. I, I've got to beautify myself. I, the pot, I make this work. No, you don't. He's the potter. You're the clay. He's the vine. You're just branches. I'm just a branch. All right. So, in order for God to remove any idols in our lives and restore our first love to him, no matter what's happening in our life, Two important actions, or three important actions, are necessary. Here they are. Number one, respond properly to the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, for sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to have us turn there, but do you remember Galatians 6, 7, and 8? We've got to be careful what we sow. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. It's the word that means rottenness, decay. But if you sow to the Spirit, if you yield to the Spirit and you plant fruit, that's actions, or, or plant seeds, actions. Actions bring fruit. If you yield to the Spirit and you plant good seed, of that seed you will reap life everlasting. And so you may be in a season where you don't like the fruit. Okay, God knows that. We often will not like our own harvest, and we may be tempted to deny the fruit that we see. It's easy to try to convince ourselves that the bitter fruit in our lives really belongs to someone else, that our struggling marriage is our spouse's fault, or that our older children who have strayed, who have little to do with us, well, that's just an ingratitude problem. When in fact, we should look back and ask these questions. Is it because of my anger when I raised them and disciplined them? Is it love of career? Is it love for the things of the world? Some parents try to give their kids everything they didn't have. Well, be careful about that. Because you can develop in there a love for the world, and then when they get older and they don't love God... You know, who, you know, whose fault's that? Okay. Maybe it's our lack of trusting God that caused us to micromanage every step of our child's life. All of these things expose idols, and I could use other examples. The good news is that past sowing and reaping doesn't have to influence today's sowing. Right now, you can start sowing good seed. And it's the Spirit of God who guarantees you that with that good seed, there will be a good harvest. He promised. And look again at that promise, the second half of Galatians 6, 8. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Instead of reaping rottenness and decay, the results from sin, bad choices, the Spirit guarantees that good sowing, which is simply loving obedience to God, that that will bring the benefit of peace, true satisfaction, spiritual understanding, especially in midlife, now being able to respond properly to the bad fruit. And you know what? God can change all that. I'm so thankful that the same God who said, You'll sow and you'll reap. He's in charge of the reaping. Amen? It's called mercy. 
And then he's able to reward us when we get to heaven with the good reaping. Now respond properly to God by confessing where wrong sowing has happened. Acknowledge the fruit where you are responsible and do the right thing by going with humility and honesty to others when your sowing has hurt them. I have all adult children now but one. And they don't mind telling you what they think about how you raised them. And we taught them to communicate. Sometimes it's encouraging. Sometimes not so much. Now, we have those discussions. And I, again, I'm, I'm past that midlife point. But oh, wow. What God has shown us, what, what we have learned. And that, by the way... It's helped us to be very careful and loving with parents who have adult kids. And they don't all make the right choices. But where the Holy Spirit says, and this is what you need to take responsibility for, mom, dad, sit with your child who's an adult and say, Here's what I should have done better. Here's what I did. Please forgive me. Seek their forgiveness and then sow good seed by continuing to encourage them spiritually. It's always been amazing to me that, that in the Old Testament, over and over, it's not just fathers teaching their children. God includes the grandfathers. And by the way, you get into the New Testament and the older women, the grandmothers. Why? Well, because they've been through midlife. They've learned some things. They've experienced some failures. And by the way, can God use failure to help us all grow? Absolutely. And so have those honest conversations and let God work through that. Remember, God promises good fruit with your good sowing, regardless of how others may respond to your efforts right now to make things right and to help guide others. Now, along with responding properly to the sowing reaping principle, there's a second action that's needed, and that is recognize that God is rescuing you with his grace. And that's why with the special music this morning, I just had to smile. God's grace. Now, I repeat myself on purpose. Sometimes it's because I forget what I said, but most of the time it's on purpose. What is grace? Well, grace is undeserved enablement. It's your spiritual fuel. You don't earn it. God chooses it to give it to you. That's how you got saved, and that's how you're going to be sanctified. Okay? He will enable you. Grace yet not discovered, yet not uncovered, okay? Uh, God's going to enable you to be what he wants you to be. But recognize that even in midlife, as you look back, and there are some things that needed to be different, choices you made, realize that even with all of that, God is going to rescue you with his grace if you'll yield 
to him. It's grace that reveals during midlife the idols that have taken God's rightful place. God didn't have to show that to you, but he graciously does. It's his grace that will help you understand he is rescuing you, preparing you to meet him. If you acknowledge this, God will also give you the grace of relief. There is freedom in John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's relief. There's the grace of relief. I might have to confess to my husband something I've had to confess before. I may have to confess to my wife something that I've had to confess before. It doesn't shock God and it shouldn't shock you. You ever had to confess the same sin to God in, in, in one day? All right. But you willingly go to God for his forgiveness. Now, give that to your spouse. Give that to your child, a church member. Know the grace of relief. All those things you wish you could do over, all those failed dreams, the lingering stench of rotting fruit, none of that affects the cleansing of the blood of Christ and your perfect standing with your Father. So be relieved. Grace. Also recognize God's grace in rescue. He is completely invested in what he says in Jude 24 to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. You know that, that even if you're not even thinking about it, that's what he's doing. We can be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun the good work in you will perform it. Do you know what that Greek word perform means? It means finish it. I'm not sure I can get across the finish line. Well, here's what God said. I'm determined to help you get across the finish line. He'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even the trials that are meant to remove idols or prevent idols are from God's gracious hand. For sake of time, you don't need to turn there, but remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10? Paul was having all these revelations. God was showing truth to him. He's writing books of the Bible under inspiration. Wow. But the Lord said, all right, Paul, I can see this becoming an idol. So here's a thorn in the flesh. Three times Paul said, I went to God. Lord, would you take this away? <laughs> I could serve you better if I didn't have this. No, 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 Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. And So Paul said, I'll rejoice in my infirmity. Why? Because his strength is made perfect in or through my weakness. Do you know that you can look back at midlife and see a bunch of things you wish you could change and have regret, and you can go to God, and God can teach you through that. He can strengthen you with that and make you a better servant for the rest of your days. That's God. Obviously, Paul wasn't reaping bad fruit because of bad sowing. Yet God proved in Paul's life that he will do what is necessary and profitable to keep idols out. Number three, realize it is never too late to lay up treasure in heaven. 
Realize it's never too late to lay up treasure in heaven. Now, I do want to ask us to go to Luke chapter 16. If you know the content of this chapter, Luke 16 is where we find the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, let me just take a moment to say If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, the Scripture says that you're on your way to a real place called hell. And you can have all the wealth in the world, just like a rich man in Luke chapter 16, you'll still die and go to hell. Because you're going to leave it all here. All right? And by the way, you may not experience what we're talking about in midlife because Satan wants you to keep his idols and God God is drawing you, but you may not have the spiritual sight to see that he's trying to turn your heart to him. And that's why even when we read the Psalms and David is saying that, that Lord, the, the wealthy, they don't, or the The unbelievers, they don't seem to have problems. They have this wealth. Their kids grow to a ripe age. And and, and then David said, but then I went to the house of the Lord. My eyes were opened to their end. See, God treats his children and works in the lives of his children differently than Satan's children. So if you don't know Christ as Savior, things may be, you may be living the dream but you could die tomorrow and go to hell and none of that would matter. What's the profit of man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul or what can he give in exchange for his soul? So today you need to turn to the gracious God of heaven who sent his son to die on the cross for you. You need to confess to him that you're a sinner and receive Jesus Christ as your savior. But realize it's not too late to lay up treasure in heaven. And so in Luke 16, the chapter starts out this way. He also said unto his disciples, Jesus says to the disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. For thou mayest no long, be no longer steward. In other words, at the end of verse 2, he is determined, I'm getting rid of this guy. He's out. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. In other words, my livelihood. I cannot dig. To beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, okay, I've got to keep on living life, they may receive me into their houses. Now, who are they? Well, we're going to find out. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Cut it in half. You only owe him half. Remember, these debtors don't know what's going on between this steward and his master. No clue. All they know is he shows up and he says, hey, it's your, it's your lucky day. You don't owe this much, you owe this much. And he said to another, how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score. And the Lord commended the unjust steward. Now stop, why? He's really cheating the master. Is he commending him for that? No. 
But what is he commending him for? Because he had done wisely in this regard, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. In other words, when he gets fired from the master, he can go to these others and say, hey, remember what I did for you? Can you help me out here? And they would. And the master says of this unjust steward, that's pretty smart. In other words, you're thinking ahead how you're going to take care of yourself. Now, that's the whole point for us. But watch the application. Verse 9, and I say unto you, make of yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. In other words, use the wealth that you have been given, use it to be your friend. Now watch, so that when ye fail, do you know what that word's speaking of? When you die, disciples, they, what you have taken here and invested for me, those things may receive you into everlasting habitations. In other words, when you invest your resources here for me, you're really sending it ahead. And when you get ahead, it's going to be waiting for you, and it's going to be a wonderful reaping of heavenly rewards, crowns, so on. Even a cup of cold water given in God's name. Okay. So realize it's not too late to lay up treasure in heaven. Now, is it really not too late? Can I remind us of an Old Testament example of somebody whose life is clearly in midlife crisis? How many of you remember a guy named Samson? Oh, wow. Early on, he is sowing seeds that later are going to reap corruption. He's got a woman problem. Every chapter, there's a woman problem problem all right and so he gets to midlife he's been living for himself and yeah there he's had some victories right some some really good victories the problem is he's got an idol and he's been disobeying God all along and he becomes so self-confident that he he tells the secret to his strength that God has decided that as long as his hair is uncut, the Holy Spirit will continue to work mightily through him. Because of an idol, he is willing to say to the idol, a woman, well, if you cut my hair, my strength's gone. And he, is, he has just lost so much spiritual sensitivity that then he goes to sleep in a bedroom where she's already had the enemy come in two other times to get, them, get him. Now, there's a simple Hebrew word, and it's called dumb. <laughs> it's not Hebrew, but it's like, what are you thinking? How can you sleep? Well, because now he's full of himself. I will arise. I will take care of the problem. No, the problem took him. But what was God doing by taking Samson's eyes, making him in the place of a beast, grind the, the meal for the Philistines? What was God doing? Extracting an idol. And in the end of his life, he stay, he's brought up so that they can, 
they can rejoice over this champion that they've defeated. And you remember he stands between two pillars, and I love this, in, in one of the houses of their gods. This is an idol sanctuary. You remember the boy that's leading him, he says, put me between the two pillars. He prays to God and he pushes those pillars out and in his death he kills more Philistines than, than the rest of his time. You say, yeah, but what a failure. He could have done so much more. Time out. You can think that, but did God view his faith and his sowing as profitable? Yes, he did. How do we know? You can read through Hebrews chapter 11, and I've done this. I read through Hebrews 11, and, and I, I, I read about Abraham. Yeah, that, that guy lived by faith. And I read about others, and then I get, uh, and time does not have, there's not enough time to tell you about other heroes of faith. Samson. Huh? Wasted his life, much of his life, serving idols. Not the Philistine gods, Philistine women. Did he lay up any treasure in heaven? He did. And that's the testimony. You say, well, I look back and it's a wreck and I just want to quit. And God does, you know what? God set me on a shelf. I'm done. I, you know, stop. You decide what you're going to sow today and what you're going to reap tomorrow. And God's not done with you. So let me close with this final thought from Paul Tripp. God's grace may allow my dreams to go sour or success to stricken or to sicken my stomach or friends to prove unfaithful, my body to fail me, or my good efforts to show that they were not so good after all. But it is not random pain. It is the painful grace of purification. <laughs> Remember that things are not always what they seem in view of grace. Can I leave you with that today? Midlife is coming for many of you. So keep, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life and the idols that can come into life. Now if you're in midlife or past midlife, you have an important choice. You can look on those things that are causing, have caused dissatisfaction, disorientation, dread, disappointment, and you can let it become a crisis. And I think some, the average church, have let that happen. The tragedy is, unless they're watching a live stream, some of those aren't even going to hear this message this morning. If you've got a friend, a brother or sister in Christ who's a member of this church, now there can be other reasons that they're not here. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But the reality is there are some folks away from the Lord because in midlife it blew up and they're done with it. Would you direct them to this message and to the truth from God's word that we've looked at today? So you can face crisis Continue in that mode, or you can acknowledge the gracious construction that your Heavenly Father is doing in your heart, and you can yield to Him as He does His perfect work. 
I love the words of the, of the Apostle Paul. So let, let him do his perfect work. And what's he talking about? Tribulation. All the while, keep your eyes on the eternal and what God says he is doing. The physical is temporal. God is preparing you for the most important day of your life. Glad it's not midlife. The most important day of your life is when you see Jesus. And the Son of God is committed to you standing there so that he can smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, but God, midlife. No, no, no. No sin named in the throne room if you're a Christian. None. So let him do his work. Just walk humbly with him. And sow so that you can reap for eternity. Father, thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, even the things that you give us, what a blessing. There are things that we can invest so that they become our friends when we get to heaven. But Lord, it's so easy to set our affections on things below and not things above. So God, I believe, Holy Spirit, you've worked in our hearts. And I pray that now in this time as we reflect and then have an opportunity to talk to you, to do business with you, to make right with you, to confess idols to you, whatever it is that we need to do today. Holy Spirit, as you've worked, help us to quietly, sincerely, lovingly talk to you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.